I'm going to read a passage in just a minute that tells or shows how Jesus preached and how Jesus shared the gospel, how Jesus shared the good news as he traveled, as he taught, and as he transformed the people with whom he met. I want us to see how Jesus did it. I want us to know how he expressed that good news and how he told that gospel message. But before I do, I want to make a, I guess it's a bold statement about what's going on in church today almost across the board. The powerful reality of church today is that it has gotten very competitive. And so much of the objective of the Christian church is to hang on to the members that we currently have and, if possible, do those things to add to those numbers. What does that mean? Isn't that perfectly okay? Absolutely not, because what has happened, when that becomes your focus, your strategies and your plans begin truly to shift away from those things that God intends, of God's purpose, and we become very focused on people rather than on the one to whom we should owe our focus. Several years ago, when Jan and I, for several different reasons, left this church to do other things, to be interim pastor and to do other things for a while, was unbelievably hard because of the amount of pull. Why are you doing this? Why are you leaving us? The only answer I can give you is because this is what God has done, this going in obedience. And so churches begin to use these strategies. The big one is, involvement. If I can get them committed to something, then they'll stay. And that has largely been the focus of the Christian church. Most of our plans, even most of our ministries are offered trying to meet some need within this group so that if we meet their needs, they'll stay. So we offer much of what we do trying to entice, keep, or add to our membership. Why would we do it? Because numbers mean success. Numbers mean that as a pastor, I'm getting it done. Because if I want to make the next step as a pastor, and the search committee comes, they need to come into a church that's full because that means that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And that means I move up in the ranks. I move up with, to another church. And sadly, that has become the reality of the Christian church. I want to tell you this morning that I come to this message painfully. This is one that I would really just rather hand to somebody else and say, would you mind delivering this? You know, Max shared in a sermon about four weeks ago, and when he said it, it was odd, but it was amazingly true, and then I heard the vision behind it, that this church was a hard place to come. That sounds strange just by itself, but this church, as he said, is, this is not an easy place to come. This is not a place to come week by week, and just feel good that you went to church. The message that God puts on my heart is too much in your face. It's too challenging. It's too confrontational. It makes you examine you. So anybody who just wants to come and go to church, this is not an easy place to come. And the picture that Max had was that these aisles were full of treadmills and they were running that direction. So if you were coming here, you had to work against that treadmill to be able to come to church here. I don't know exactly how you take that, but the reality is that that's an absolutely true statement. It's too confrontational. It's too much in your face. The thoughts, what God shows and what God reveals become very personally challenging because when he starts confronting you, when he starts talking about sin, 
when he starts talking about the chronic situations of your life, about rebellion, about resistance, all the things that happen, about addiction, when God begins to bring truth against that, it's not easy to stay tracked. It's not easy to keep coming. And God gave me permission when I came here all that many years ago now. But God gave me permission, or maybe he withheld permission, and won't let me chase people. It's like, well, isn't that your job if somebody leaves the church? Isn't it your job to go find out why? Isn't it your job to go, to go try to, to keep them? And the answer to that is no, because God's going to build here what God sees in his mind and his heart. He's going to build a church as he sees it. It's not based on me. It's not based on you. He's going to build it the way he sees it. It's interesting to me that statement when Max said it was so provocatively true. I'm going to have to share this very carefully, but I look at what's happening in our community and all the things that that includes and the somewhat moral degradation of what's happening here and and all around the world. I look at the acceptance of those things once held as sin and weren't tolerated, strangely becoming normal. I watch as parents, by example, teach their kids that God is somewhere down the list of importance, and it breaks my heart, and I wonder, I wonder what these parents are thinking. I ask our daughter, Erin, who's going to have a baby in two or three weeks, mentioned this in Sunday school, and we actually did this. I want you to write down what you want your child to look like when they're 18 years old. What do you want his beliefs to be? What do you want his attitude to be? What do you want his motivation to be? Write that down. What do you want that child to look like when they're 18 years old? And when you get that list written down, is, is that list exactly what your life looks like now? You know, what are parents thinking? When the list of what becomes important on Sunday, what does it tell our kids about what their relationship with God is supposed to be? What, what's the importance of church in this connection that God has established? This isn't me. This is God's business. This is God's place. This is His church. And as parents, what are we saying? When so many other things begin to be important, what have we told our kids about where God falls in this line of importance? Is he one, two, three, four? Where is he down the list? I'm kind of always shocked at what takes those priority places. I've just watched some things over these last two weeks, and I just shake my head and say, this can't be. This can't be sundown. This can't be this ho- our home. This can't be happening here. You know, we went once from being a place where Christianity, where spiritual leadership among kids and students was the norm, a place where that was expected in classrooms, and it was expected in the store, it was expected throughout the community, it was expected in each and every place that Christianity and being able to speak the name of God and speak of those things spiritual and true were very normal. And then we moved a few years ago into a place where that became acceptable, I'm amazed now at how many kids who try to take that position are directly opposed, not tolerated, opposed because of their faith in God, because of their spiritual relationship with God and who God is. I watched this and I can't believe it. I said, what happened to us? What has happened to us? And I told you I come to this with heaviness. I come to this with difficulty. So I've been putting this question before God What has happened to us? I want us to go to Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 25. And there went great multitudes with him, 
At this point, Jesus was the pastor of a mega church. Jesus had thousands who were following him, and he would have been moved up in the ranks as a great pastor and a great teacher and a great man of influence and probably would have had written several books by now, became very well known, very popular, because he was pastoring at this moment a mega church. And he turned and he said unto them, if any man come to me, I want you to ask yourself now, when I begin to read this, how effective is Jesus going to be at keeping these members and adding to these members by saying stuff like this? You'll recognize Jesus very quickly was the head of the church shrinkage committee. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. This is Jesus telling the good news. This is Jesus telling the gospel message because Jesus knew something. The good news is not a suggestion to people or something that they get to try out. The good news is a fact established by God that we come into agreement with, not something that we're out here peddling, trying to get somebody to try it out and see if it works for them. It's not a concept. It's not an idea. It's not a strategy. The good news is a fact. And Jesus is saying, this is the gospel message. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sits not down first and counts the cost, whether he hath sufficient to finish it? Lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to, to finish it, all that behold it began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sits not down first and consults whether he... Be able with 10,000 to meet him that comes against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sends an embassage and desires conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has. Listen to this. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsakes not all that he has, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. I read this passage and say, this was Jesus telling the good news, and immediately this stern word, immediately this challenge begins to turn the Christian world off because it doesn't talk of this loving acceptance of Jesus Christ. Well, I want to tell you, everywhere Jesus went, he confronted lives, he challenged life, because if there was no con confrontation, if there was no challenge, what was the point of Jesus? Just leave people alone. Accept them the way that they are. Let them live the way that they live. Accept them and just love them. Jesus confronted them because he knew that their lives needed to be changed. He knew he had a gospel message. He knew he had something. He knew he was teaching a truth that would radically change the world and would reach the nations. And he said, if you can't do this, don't come. Don't come. Guess what happened? We read about this in the book of John. What happened 
when these 10,000 and 12,000 and 20,000 were following him, what happened? They all left. And now Jesus is the pastor of a country church with 40 people. And he looks at him and says, are you leaving too? And they say, where would we go? Because your words are truth in their life. I want to know, where is this message today? Where is this good news today that confronts and challenges and makes people decide, makes people come to a conclusion? He makes it real clear. If we didn't come to die, we don't need to come. That's pretty abrupt. Jesus said it. I mean, he was real clear. He said, this is about dying so that there's nothing left of the old us. Not just changing, dying. The old has passed away. The new has come. The old man is dead. He's saying, if you're not willing to die so that that old man disappears, so that the new man can come, just don't come. And he did not fear the consequences of 10,000 people walking away from him in one single moment, even though he had just fed them, even though he had just taught them, even though they would just seen miracles. He watches them walk away, and he doesn't go chase them. My goodness, where is that message today that confronts and challenges? We have a hard time talking to our neighbors. Here's the necessary question. Does our life today, our relationship with Jesus, our receiving this gospel reality, our telling the story of Jesus, look anything like it did in Jesus' day? Does it look anything like it did in that first century in the book of Acts? Does our life look anything like that? Acts chapter 9, this is the story of Paul. He's met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's had this encounter. He's been blinded, and now Ananias has come. And he's received his sight again. In Acts chapter 9, verse 20, it says, And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. Here was a man who was a terrorist. We know that he had killed at least one because we read about it in the stoning of Stephen. Here is a man that we know is a terrorist, had killed one, had gone to arrest many, was persecuting the church of, of Jesus Christ and was doing all that he could to stop it. And it says he met Jesus, he had an encounter, and immediately he began to teach and preach Jesus as the Son of God. Does our life look anything like that? There was no old Paul left. He didn't persecute Christians every now and then. He forsook that life. It was behind him. It was gone. And there was a new one in front of him. And he was not ashamed even when it got him stoned and thrown out of city after city after city. Why did it not matter to Paul? Because Paul had died on that, that day on the road to Damascus. He had died as Ananias come. There was no old man left. There was a new man that had come. And this new man immediately began to preach and teach that Jesus was the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed. It says, it's not this, he that destroyed them which killed in his name in Jerusalem. And he came hither for, for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priest. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is the very Christ. What was Jay's quote? A man willing to sacrifice himself, to let himself die, becomes capable of miracles and supernatural things. But there will be no supernatural reality until our old man dies. So what happened to us? Why is the church not relevant in the world anymore? Why do we not impact our culture anymore? Why is there no influence 
from the church around the world anymore. If you want to find the real influence in the world, you're going to have to go to where Christians are being persecuted, and that's where you'll find the revivals. What's happened to us? Here it is. We have forgotten that we are here to die because there will be no resurrection. There will be no new life. There will be no new message. There will be no new testimony, no new witness until we die. And those things that we hold as important are gone. Our recreation, our plans, our hobbies, our interests suddenly disappear into the reality that I have died and every ounce of my life is committed one place in one direction and his name is Jesus. We have forgotten that we came here to die. We have forgotten that we have been raised to bring new life that does not resemble the old. We are here to say with passion that our treasure is in heaven. Our treasure, those things that we value. He said we are a city that's set on a hill so that we could be light. He says that we're the salt of the earth. And if we're not, church, believers, church family, in this community, if we are not that light on a hill, where in the world is this city going to receive its light? Where is it going to receive its salt if it doesn't come from those of us who say the old has died, the new has come, the light of the world, look here. Look in this place. Let the light shine into those dark places. I keep asking myself, how do we bring truth into that situation? We have no chance of bringing it until we die first. And suddenly there's a reality in, in us and about us this community cannot explain. We're not just a Baptist church. We become light and we become salt. Who is going to confront the world? Who's going to challenge them? And I tell you, that's the hard part. I was listening to a guy last night preach. He's talking about going into these places, going into this gathering of 100,000 Mormons preaching Jesus Christ, standing at an abortion clinic, preaching and teaching Jesus, not trying to stop somebody from having an abortion, preaching and teaching Jesus. In the hardest places, if we don't confront, if we don't challenge, and I'm not talking about taking on the ills of the world, I'm talking about about being so transformed that we do as Paul did and we begin to preach and teach that Jesus is the Son of God. That's the whole story. I don't have to condemn anybody. I don't have to judge anybody. But I do have to confront with, by my life, by my testimony, by my words and by my witness that would bring someone to the reality that there's something wrong in my life and be able with courage and perseverance to stand. I'm going to read one more passage, Matthew chapter 5, if you'd go with me there. To verse 12. Matthew 5, as Jesus teaches and shares the Beatitudes, verse 12, he begins this statement. He says, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel but on a candlestick and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men. Let your light, that one that God gave you when the old passed and darkness was gone, let that light 
so shine. And shine before men. Shine so that they would be able to recognize the darkness in their, in their lives because light has come, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I sit here at times and wonder how a message like this hits your heart. Because this is, this is life changing. Or it strangely rolls into this category of another message. Maybe true, factually true, but totally changes nothing. Well, that's not my responsibility. That's God's responsibility of bringing it to your heart the way it means something to you so that you react only to Him and not to me. This question, did you come here this morning to die? Is that on your mind so that there would be no evidence of the old so that I could leave here saying the new has come? That person that would have done this, that person is gone. This person is alive. That person who would have compromised, that person is gone. This one has come. This one that would have cheated, this one has come. This one that would have lied, this one has come. This one hurt, restored, powerless, now powerful, blind, now can see, lost, and now saved. Did you come here to die? to be transformed so that you could leave brand new. Brand new. To be a light on a hill so that the world around you could so see and so understand that the light has come and the salt still has its savor. It's going to take this for this community, the communities around us to be changed. It's going to take this because if we continue as life as it is, the slippery slope has come and we're going down it fast. I know there's many good things that are happening, but I tell you what, when, when Christian young boys and young girls in, in school can't mention it because they know they're gonna get the wrath of somebody back, something has gotta be done. And I don't want it to start over there. I want it to start right here. I want it to start in our hearts. I want it to start in prayer. I want it to start in love. And I want it to start in kindness and goodness so that our good works become the evidence of a supernatural reality of God and to become so con the love becomes so confrontational. Community's changed and our school has changed. And once again, the normal will be to say, I love God. My life has been changed. I died and now I live.